we're coming to you live from the future Whoa, we're in but the somehow future also the past uh, who knows i'm Mackenzie. i'm liz and you're about to listen to our podcast uh and we just wanted to tell you a little bit of a little something uh going into season two we changed our name as you probably see on your podcast app <laughs> to wisteria gaze uh but we just wanted to let you know don't be shocked if you hear the old name because we <laughs> used to have an old name, but now we are Wisteria Gays. Uh, and you can find us on social media at uh, Twitter at Wisteria Gays, on Instagram at Wisteria Gays underscore, <laughs> underscore. Uh, or WisteriaGaze.com. So hit us up. That's Hell our new name. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Desperate House Dykes, Liz. Only you. Welcome to Desperate only House me. Dykes. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I'm is, your first guest, yeah, right? Yeah, thank you. You're my first guest. Thank you. Uh, this is a show where we, we're we two lesbians, and we're going to talk about every episode of Desperate Housewives, one by one. Spoiler-free, mostly. Actually, it is. It is indeed spoiler-free. Not even, mostly. And my name is Liz Burton. And my name is Mackenzie Wilkes. And thank you for... Thank you for being here. Thanks for coming back for Ep 2, baby. Yeah, you know, we're hot, we're juicy, mm-hmm. we're... <laughs> we're gay. I feel like we're I gay. saw you almost saying yeah. we're gay and I didn't know if yeah, that was we're gay. what you were trying to say. That's amazing. Are you ready to just dive into this ep? I think I'm ready to just like dive straight in. You know, I never did swimming in high school, but I, I feel like I could do it right now. Let me give you the tea. So... This episode we're going to watch, episode two of season one, it premiered October 10th, 2004, baby. And it was directed by a guy named Larry Shaw, who we looked him up, and his best credit, in my opinion, is Cadet Kelly. Oh, a delicious film. I cannot believe. I love that. The root of so many people. Yeah, truly. So that was his coolest, in my opinion. He did a couple other TV shows, but Cadet Kelly but is Cadet Kelly peak. Come on. Uh, this episode was once again written by series creator Mark Cherry. And fun fact, as uh, some people who have watched Desperate Housewives know, but people who haven't watched before might not know, that um, every episode of Desperate Housewives is named after a Stephen Sondheim song. And I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> Because I guess Mark Cherry is that kind of gay. I guess what we're saying is, you listen to us, you learn something new. You learn something new every day. So this episode title is called, Ah, But Underneath. And it is Mm. actually a song that is from the 1971 musical Follies. It's not in current productions anymore. So it's fully a song that no one knows anymore. But you're going to have a little Stephen Sondheim update at the top of every episode, I guess. (laughs) The Stephen Sondheim watch, if you will. Yeah, Stephen Sondheim watch. But yeah, it became something the show was super known for was just its episode titles and its connections to Stephen Sondheim, I suppose. And that's, uh, that's the tea I got for you at the top of this ep. It's beautiful. I sipped it. I savored it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The flavors were the juices, there. Yeah. And I loved it. The juices. <laughs> Are you ready to like talk about this episode? It's a oh, good I'm one. I'm so ready. It's a good episode. It's a really good one. So we open up with this pretty cool monologue, actually, that I really enjoyed from Mary Alice about how when people die, they see the world more clearly. Yes. I enjoy that quote. I enjoy also the part where she says, most of what's visible to the dead could also be seen by the living if they'd only take the time to look. It's sad and interesting. I just got chills hearing you say that. Is that dumb? No, I think it, I mean, like, it boosts my confidence. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I think when the episodes are written by Mark Cherry, they're just very, very good episodes. And yeah. Yeah, I just think it's so poetic and sad. And he's so good at, like, hammering in the, like, point of this show is, like, the things that people hide under the surface of the water, if you will. Yeah. Like Gabby. <laughs> in like a bathtub. Gabby. I love it. I love the imagery, you know, like last episode, we had the imagery of Gabby stopping, putting the cigarette out. I love the thought of Gabby this time just being like, hey, John, I'm going to go underwater for like five minutes. <laughs> Let me do this. So when I get back up, just be ready to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do not touch me. I'm going to just dissociate out of the water. I'm going to look like a dead wax figurine. I'm not drowning. <laughs> I can hold my breath for seven and a half minutes. <laughs> so I'm staying under for seven minutes and 20 29 seconds yes yeah that looked 
really weird. Um, I did like the like quote, you know, Gabrielle was a drowning woman in search of a life raft. I think your life raft probably shouldn't be a 16 year old boy, but I like the like, you know, evocative imagery of drowning that I feel like is like permeated by all the women kind of. I feel like I should bring this up now just so I can bring up certain points when we come across it. Oh, your galaxy brain? Yeah. So halfway through this episode, I had a big galaxy brain where I think the underlining theme for this episode is control and how much of a lack of it each woman has in their life Yeah, compared to how much they think they have. So like, yeah. even in this beginning instance, right, we have Gabby under the water and almost immediately we hear that car door slam, Carlos is home. Maybe she doesn't have quite the control over this affair. She's starting to slip a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we last episode talked about, we've assumed it's been going on for a while and yeah. now- now, as the show begins, we are seeing the close catches of Carlos almost finding yes. this boy naked in his bathtub. Boy naked in his bathtub. Yeah, I. this part was so dumb. So Carlos, you know, comes home early from work. Yes. Gabby throws John out of a window <laughs> to get him away. And just like shoves clothes in his hands. <laughs> yeah. But forgets the pants. The pants are on the couch. What a comedy of errors we oh. have here on Desperate Housewives. We love comedy. Listen, I... I am a comedy major. I know comedy when I see it. And this is great. This is great comedy right here. Yeah, no, and then Carlos, I mean, Carlos is such an idiot. Like, where's John? His car is right outside. And then there's John right in the window. Liz, this man's ass is just out. It's just a full ass. There's children in this neighborhood. There's people running in this neighborhood. Did no one see him with his fucking dick out? Also, was he going commando? That's another thing. I think that everybody in this community, except for the main core wives, knows what's going on. Because there has to be people walking past (laughs) seeing this man's bare ass hanging out. Like, when John and Gabby were having sex on the table last episode, people were walking by in front of that open window. They had to have seen that. Yeah. And when we talked a little bit about Mike pulling out the gun in an open window when there's like <laughs> cops and stuff right there. Yeah. It's Everybody so has a clear understanding of what's happening in these women's lives except for each other. There we go. That's my galaxy brain. We wouldn't have Control. a show if, uh, if it didn't, if that happened. I almost would have loved it if there was some acknowledgement of somebody like walking down the street seeing a naked guy. <laughs> He's Winnie the Poohing it, you know? Just yes. like dick out. So that's, that's our cold open, I guess, if you want to call it that. And then we cut to. Uh, we didn't get these last episode, but this episode, we get the full opening credits for the first time. Yes, we get that theme. What do you think about them? Give me, your, give me your vibes. What do you think about these opening credits? I think it's a really interesting intro. Um... <laughs> Period. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty cool, too. I think, you know, I get. I think I get it. It's like, you know, the desperate housewives through, through history yeah. kind of thing. I think that the Eve imagery is very interesting that they're trying to evoke. And we kind of can talk about it, I guess, in this episode. There's a lot of, like, Chris... Not... I don't think this show is Christian there's themes. There's a lot of... But there's a lot it, of, like, we're all Christians kind of vibe. Yes. Uh, with the characters, like, Edie wearing a cross a lot. Uh, the, the Hoobs mentioning you know being a christian multiple times throughout the series you get brie with like her values yeah yeah there's a lot of like christian undertones without it being like overtly like this is about religion it's just like a lot of talk saying that we're christian yeah it's like the eve imagery i think i kind of get it i like that maybe it's trying to say she was not only the original sinner but like the original desperate housewife (laughs) which i kind of think is kind of funny yeah yeah and also this music do you know who composed it no. Danny Elfman. Oh, I did know that. Yeah. I did. Yeah. He yes. won, uh, I think he won an Emmy Award for Best Opening Theme Music for this song. It's Mr. iconic. Before Christmas. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, he's incredibly famous for his work on Tim Burton films, especially. Yes. He's, I would say, probably the most famous film and TV composer of all time. I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, he composed this. And so that's pretty cool. Yeah. He did The Simpsons. I mean, he's just, he's iconic. Also, something I found funny. For the audience, I bought on Amazon the season one companion book called Behind Closed Doors. I'm obsessed with it. We're going to be talking a lot. At least I'm going to be bringing in like fun facts and cool behind the scenes stuff from this book as I read through it. Um, But there's a whole section about the title sequence. And something that I thought was really, really funny was that the actresses obviously kind of weirdly are edited into the last frame. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like everything is a cartoon and then randomly like, 
like promo shots of the actresses show up. So Mark Cherry did not want them to appear in the opening sequence. He thought it was good as it was. But then the freaking, um, it says in here that the, the network was like not happy that the women weren't shown at all. So the like compromise was throwing this shot into the end of them holding apples. And obviously they wanted to evoke like them all being Eves in their own right, sort of. That makes sense. Which I found very funny that the network was like, we want to see the women. And Mark Cherry was like, I'll give you two seconds. Yeah. I mean, like it's, I mean, technically it's a compromise because you do get those two seconds of those women. So it's like the network's happy. (laughs) We're all happy. fine with it, I guess. (laughs) So uh, we got to all the women drinking in Susan's kitchen, pacing in silence as they examine the mysterious letter they found addressed to Mary Alice. It seems like Susan wants to give it to Paul. Gabby wants to call the police. Lynette suggests it being a joke. Like everybody kind of has a different opinion on what to do with this fucking letter. What would you do? If you were one of them. What would I do? Yeah, I'm curious. I don't even know what I would do, maybe. I think I would tell him, honestly. I might tell him just because, like, I... No, it's not weird. I might tell him because it's, like, he has a right to know. Yeah, literally. All we know him as is our friend's husband. And if this is something that maybe has to do with her death, we should tell him. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, it reminds me a lot of, like, I know what you did last summer, but just (laughs) the no part. None of the horror part. (laughs) But yeah, it's like, you you would want to share that with her partner because that's her partner. Yeah, he like deserves to know it wasn't. I mean, like we and the women don't know what's behind that letter, right? Yeah. And so it's like, as far as Paul knows, it was just like some senseless act that she just decided to do. I think for me, I'd be like, oh, you know, maybe this gives a reason. But also I could see where like maybe Lynette or Brie are coming from where it's like it would just make him hurt more, which I also can see. I think maybe some time could pass. But it's like, I wouldn't want to be in this situation if I was them. Yeah, me neither. I think it'd be too stressful. Yeah. (laughs) There's a really great quote in this scene that is just, how much do we really want to know about our neighbors? Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because then you could say like, yeah, how much do we really want to know about our neighbors? Because how much would we want our neighbors to know about ourselves? You know, especially in like a small tight knit community like this. The picture perfectness of it all, you really don't want anybody knowing anything about your real life. I mean, they all are like, I can't believe Mary Alice would hide something, but they're all hiding things from each other. Like Gabby's hiding John and um, Susan honestly is kind of hiding Mike. Like you would think that she would talk to her girlfriends about this, but she just talks to her fucking daughter about it and not to her actual friends. I have some notes about that where I feel like they're not really real with one another, which is really what you just said. To me, it feels like they're really just surface level friends. Yeah. With like none of the meat that actually makes you close to people. Mm -hmm. Like they're not being vulnerable with one another because they don't want the other people to see them as vulnerable because maybe they would attack or latch onto it and see those as weaknesses rather than a chance to make the relationship stronger. I hope that's what maybe we get to see is like the opening up of these people to each other, especially as they're kind of like trauma bonding over their like mutual friend dying, maybe watching them open up to one another. I mean, these secrets have got to come out eventually. There's no way they can stay in. I would love to have them open up with one another and have their friendship become stronger. There's nothing more (laughs) there's nothing more I would love than that than to just be like maybe the real desperate housewife was the friendships we made along the way you know I would love that. Yes. That's the whole show. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's an amazing point. And then as, you know, she's saying that, I do love these sort of like transitions into like a scene that proves the point. So how much do we want to know about our neighbors? We move to a scene where Paul has finally excavated whatever he was looking for beneath the pool because Zachary is like staring at this hole and we see Paul carrying an extremely dirty looking children's toy box into his garage. Yes. Can I also just mention real quick, we don't have to spend too much time on this. The rebar and like the the metal yeah. poles that are just bent. Yeah. Like, did Paul just like do that with his hands? <laughs> did Paul just fucking Hulk out and rip this fucking pool up with his bare hands? I hope so. Because I want to see that, that scene. Yeah, give me that. Like, scene. maybe it's into the deleted scenes. Maybe we should buy this on DVD. Yeah, might be in the special features. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that, but that's that's pretty funny. And then uh, Mary Alice mm-hmm. gives us another really good oh, quote I out love of this episode this line. that says, loneliness is something my friends understood all too well, which I think can go back to the, they're not really friends no. because if they were friends, maybe they wouldn't feel as lonely because they know that they're all in this together. Yeah, I also loved the lead up to that where she was like, they laid awake a night thinking about my suicide and how terribly alone I must have felt. They just feel so bad for her. And I think there's that 
that like, yeah, it's like, I don't think maybe they're even realizing how vapid their friendships are until they've lost yeah. someone. They were like, oh, we weren't there for her because we didn't know her in a way that she needed to be known. And yeah. it's it's sad. I think that's that's what makes the desperate housewife is loneliness. I mean, a lot of these women are doing the things they do because of loneliness, I think, in a way. I mm-hmm. mean, like, Lynette doesn't have her husband to help her raise these children. Brie is so alone in her own family. Susan is, like, aching for this other man to love her because she just misses being with somebody. And obviously, um, oh my god, Gabrielle, you know, is having to... It's just, like, loneliness is just, like, permeates everyone's lives in a really sad yeah. way. So, yeah, I agree with that. That was a great line. God. <laughs> What a great show. <laughs> what a great show. I love that we're talking about that. We're on episode two. We're going to be episode two. so unironically in love with this show. So we cut to Brie waking up, or not technically waking up because she wasn't asleep, but going downstairs. Rex is asleep on a pullout couch. <laughs> and do you want to talk a little bit about their conversation? Yeah, like, you know, she basically is like, hey... I want to try. You can't just throw a divorce at me. And she kind of reminds him of the night he proposed, which I loved because we get to find out Brie was engaged to another man when yeah, her and Rex saucy got together. Detail. Saucy, saucy little mink over there. Mink, minx. She's minx. not a mink stole. She's a minx. <laughs> but like she wants to do marriage counseling because I think she really wants to try. She doesn't want to just let something fall apart. And I think that's the perfectionist in her, but also just like, I think she loves him. <laughs> I think against all mm-hmm. odds, she does really care about him. And I think it's sad and it sucks because I'm I'm guilty of this too when I've like broken up with somebody where like he's like already made up his mind that he's done with this yeah. without bringing it to her. So then like he brings it to her and he's like made up his mind that they're going to d- divorce. But she hasn't made up her mind because she doesn't want that. And so it's like it's such a hard disconnect there because he's like ready to just be done and she wants to try and uh we in the scene and he's he's gonna be willing to at least try a little bit yes so then they make the agreement to at least try marriage counseling and then brie hits us with the great line i'm going to make myself some more milk i just thought that was a weird thing to say (laughs) i think she said warm milk like she's gonna make herself i think she said i'm gonna make myself some more milk Anyway, we'll run a t- poll on the Twitter. I think it was uh, warm. I don't know. I think it was more. Well, it's more warm milk. I don't know. It's more warm milk. <laughs> so we switch to Susan and Julie. Susan's downstairs. She looks out the window, sees Mike Delfino. The tall Whoa. drink of water to quote unquote quench her thirst. That was so funny to me. It was. Oh <laughs> I wrote LOL, LOL, LOL in my comments. I think I wrote gag me with a spoon in my comments. <laughs> But then she's spooked by Julie coming up behind her because apparently Julie's supposed to be making brownies for her friends at 2 a.m. I guess they're like, maybe she's having a sleepover, maybe? I don't know. I mean, this goes into my time continuity. I feel like every single episode of this TV show takes place on a weekend. We don't have to get into that right now. What else happens? Basically, she just is like, Mom, why don't you ask him out? Because Susan cannot get advice from her adult friends. She has to get advice from her 13-year-old daughter. Also, I was going to say, we get uh, Julie with that information that the measuring cup has been lost. Oh, she yeah. She can't make the brownies at 2 a.m. because the, she can't find the measuring cup. And there's like a hilarious like <laughs> flashback kind of of like Susan being like, I don't know where it is as like flashes of her like burning down a house show up again. That was pretty Just like a quirky little house burning down montage. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay. And then we cut to Gabby. Yeah. An angry Gabby. And she's in bed alone. Carlos comes home. He's late. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get a sense that this is kind of like a normal thing in the relationship. Mm -hmm. She's pissed. She doesn't like being alone all the time. And yeah, he brings her gifts to try to like appease her and make her want to have sex with him and he says a bunch of weird things about like you know basically like if i give you a gift you owe me sex which is gross there's like an interesting part though of this all where he gives her the gift and he wants to have sex and she goes i don't really want to what if we just talk and i feel like that's even just like an inkling that she maybe does want to have somewhat of a deeper connection with him yeah she does want to work it out a little bit you know she's been having this affair And I think we can talk about the loss of control a little bit later when it comes more into play. But I think she, some part of her wants that connection. But I also feel like her want for material goods sometimes outweighs that. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Especially, especially when she feels like she can't get that connection from Carlos. She just kind of accepts it. Yeah. And it's sad. 
Yeah, and I said this to you while we were like like watching it, you know, earlier today, but like he grabs her a little too tightly for my taste. He does. And I feel like it seems like it's being coded as like, I'm so romantic and passionate about understanding you. And it's like, no, he's just like grabbing her kind of aggressively in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. And so I hope yeah. they don't verge into some like weird territory there but that's yeah he's just a highly unlikable person for me at this point yeah i do not like him yeah i i will be frank yeah i don't like him <laughs> yeah it makes me root for this weird affair which feels weird in my brain as well but i mean i said it last episode i'll say it this episode i just want her to get a divorce yeah. i want her to be like edie yeah. i don't want her to be with either man yes uh, sorry man or boy yes and um man or muppet <laughs> <laughs> she does bring up an issue that she is having, though. She says the relationship's not exciting anymore. She wants him to take her breath away. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not very um, excited by the Gabby Carlos storyline, TBH. No. Um, like, I don't, I'm not super interested as much as I am in other women in the show, TBH. E, no, like, I'm interested in some other women. Yeah. I think we both are interested in the same women. I would like to not see it. So then we cut away, finally, to the next morning, I'm assuming. We don't know. Yeah. Susan's taking out the trash. and Oh, she looks horrible. Yeah, right, with her full face of makeup, her wonderful <laughs> bone structure, and her- I mean, like, her robe is, like, off one shoulder. And her skin is- one Her skin is glowing like the morning sun. And, oh, my God. Oh, it's, like, messy, but it's, like, it's, like- A little sexy. Messy. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, what a disgusting, disgusting piece of shit is what she thinks- <laughs> When she sees fucking Mike and she, like, loses her mind, they don't see her in a robe with, like, a messy bun. I don't know. TV shows do that all the time. It's so dumb. Um, He's walking his dog. <laughs> his dog's name is Bongo, which I find funny and weird. I love Bongo. Bongo's good. <laughs> he's a good Bongo's boy. Bongo's the best character. It's Julie and then Bongo. Julie and Bongo are god-tier characters. Yes, they are tied. <laughs> and the hoobs. The hoobs, Bongo, and Julie are god-tier. It's the Holy Trinity. Yeah, the Holy Trinity. That is my religion, is the hoobs, Bongo, and Julie. Um, she finally, Susan in the scene, they're talking, you know, having a little rapport. She finally asks him out and then immediately backtracks and makes it not a date. I was really rooting for her and I was hoping she would just like mm-hmm. commit and then she got scared. She has no control over the lies she tells. <laughs> also, we find out in this scene that Bongo doesn't really like Susan. Oh yeah, he barks a lot at her, which is a little weird. Yeah. He's a very aggressive dog. It's like very weird how <laughs> aggressive that dog is, but... Hey, we're going to do a little tri- uh, double date, I guess. Not double date. Basically, Susan's going on a date with her daughter and Mike. Well, the thing is... Yeah, what's up? She just disguises it as just a traditional dinner where she cooks. And by cooks, she means get takeout. Yeah. And then Mike offers to cook. I think that's sweet. Yeah, I like that he's so a cook. Because if she can't cook, somebody's got to cook if they're together. You know what I mean? And we get a little shot of Julie looking at this interaction. She has mom sonar. Beep, 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 beep. It's there. She's fucking feeling it. And then Susan immediately is like, hey, Julie, you're going to be ill. You're going to be like, you're going to have appendicitis on Friday. Yes. So that me and Mike can have dinner. And Julie is happy for her mom. So she's like, Julie's like, yeah, mom. Dude, I'm down. Appendicitis? I'm freaking downtown. And then we get, ooh, our favorite duo. Our favorite duo. We get Edie. We get the hoops. Edie and the hoops. Hoops. We see Edie and the hoopster. The hoopster. They are going through Edie's burnt house. We yeah. find out that they've been living together since the house burnt down. Incredible. Perfect setup for this new show. That we're pitching, yeah. The hoops finds Susan's measuring cup, thinking that it's Edie's. She goes, hey, you know, we could just scrape off some of this shit and it's good to go. Which, I would not want to use that. Like, no. I don't care. I could just buy a yeah, new Yeah, literally. What is a measuring cup? It's like, not worth worth it at all five bucks yeah ten dollars how much $10? could a banana cost <laughs> so edie says that her measuring cup is plastic. plastic and then we get super sleuth detective hooves coming in with her little eyes going up in the air thinking hmm this couldn't possibly just be a normal coincidence this is um foul play and honestly Detective Hoops is ready to solve the case. Detective Hoops is on it. She's got that trench coat. She's got that little hat. She's caressing that measuring cup. (laughs) 
She's got it. I She's love got the clues. Her. I don't know why. I love her so much. I did not give a shit about this character when I first watched this show, and watching it with you has made me love Mrs. Hoover. <laughs> like, Detective Hoobs is my favorite character. I feel like 90% of why you love her so much right now is just because I gave her the name The Hoobs. That's 100% true. Okay. The Hoobs makes her a lot better of a character, but also, I do think that actress is very good. I do enjoy yeah. her, but yeah, Detective Hoobs... I love the hoobs. Also, I do like that, like, Edie is such a misunderstood person in this neighborhood because all the women are like, oh, she's a slut, so we hate her. And I do like that the hoobs is, like, opening up her home to Edie, who probably doesn't have anybody else in the neighborhood to stay with. Yeah. I think she's also Don't get us wrong. It's her Christian values, but... It's her Christian values. They are friends, even though they're kind of, like, mean to each other. But at least Edie has one person in this community who's willing to help her out. Because Susan burned her house down (laughs) literally and and doesn't give her anything you feel like she'd feel enough remorse to at least let her stay at her house maybe if she feels guilty if not just own up to what she did yeah all i'm saying is justice for edie yes susan i'm watching you (laughs) oh you're fucking you're going for i'm on susan watch you're on hashtag susan watch i yeah I, i i think it's really like like I said, like a, like a lot of the characters identify as Christian. And so like, you know, like the, the hoops has sort of funny lines later, especially being like, well, Edie's trash, but I'm a Christian and I'm, she's a good person. And like, I do like that. Like it is rooted in that sort of like do good for the world. And then you're a better Christian kind of vibes. But like, yeah, I agree. I'm just glad Edie has anybody because it seems like nobody yeah. else likes her other than Mike, which is nice. Then we cut to something that made me feel a little bit of pang of sadness, actually. Uh, we cut to the first session of couples therapy and uh, we meet Dr. Albert Goldfine, who is played by Sam Lloyd, who actually passed away like a week ago, I think, since we're recording this. Oh, wow. Not even like a couple days ago. Um I think he's wonderful in this show. And, you know, a good way to remember him is to see how great he is. He's going to be playing Dr. Albert Goldfein, the kind of marriage counselor for the Vandekamps. He's set up as being a really good, like, like the little backstory, you know, kind of montage is that he's a very yes. good psychiatrist that specializes in a lot of different kinds of couples. And then he met the Vandekamps. Yeah, then he met the Vandekamps. And Brie immediately just presents Potpourri, going back to the how she wants people to see her. <laughs> I love it. She just instantly presents that potpourri and is like, this is for you. Hello. She's British now. <laughs> She's British now. Do you want to get into this next fucking part? It's so it's so juicy. I love it so Is it because much. I called myself the twins when I was, <laughs> no. when I was little? No, I just, I just, you know how I feel about this part. Oh, I know. Because you know I feel the same We've way. We've got to get into it. We've got to introduce it and then get into it. So after the therapy introduction. Yes, we'll get more. We cut to Goddess Lynette. Goddess Lynette. Finally. Finally. Where has she been? Here she is. I don't know. I've been waiting. And here she is. And now she's here. And her little gremlins are fighting in the backseat of the car. No seatbelts or anything. Yeah, I I was saying while we were watching this, my sisters and I would fight, but we would never do it in the car. No. I mean, maybe we would hit someone with a remote once in a while, (laughs) but that was in the safety of our own home, right? Yeah, they're insane. I would lose my mind if these are my kids. Yes, I agree. That being said, I was these children. Yes. <laughs> so the kids are being rowdy in the car. They don't have their seatbelts on. Lynette gets pulled over by a cop saying she's going to get a ticket because the kids don't have seatbelts. Which is valid. Yeah. She tries explaining herself being like, I can't get them to behave. Please just give me a warning. And he doesn't. And he kind of tells her how to parent her yeah, kids a little he's bit. he's a kind of shitty comment about her being a bad mom. And so... Whew, Oh, not horny rage fuel, but just motherly rage rage fuel. fuel. And Liz, I've got to say, here is the time. So last episode, we talked about Natalie Klein being absolutely a lesbian. Total dyke when we saw her. We are now going to incorporate a new section into this podcast called... Is it lesbian of the episode or dyke of the episode or... I think maybe lesbian Lesbian of the episode. episode. Basically, whichever character possesses the most lesbian energy per episode, they will win this award. It will be engraved and shipped to their homes. Yes. (laughs) And like, we talked beforehand and there's no disagreement. No. Lynette in this outfit, in this shot, yelling at this cop, she looked... She just... She was so hot. She looked so hot to me. I'm so mad. She 
big lesbian energy. I was just like that fucking the flip flops, those baggy pants, that fucking tank top and the button up yes. shirt and the messy hair. She's the lesbian of the episode, I think. She's the lesbian of the episode. And, you know, if you listen to the past episode, you know my feelings about Lynette mm-hmm. Scavo. And they stand they true. They stand true. They stand I true. I also wanted to be topped by Lynette in this scene. I, ugh. ugh. She looked amazing. Honestly, like, if you don't want to be topped by Lynette Scavo in the scene... <laughs> Who are you? I don't... Yeah, like, why are you why here? Why are you listening <laughs> to this podcast? <laughs> she... I don't know. I just... I, I was, like, struck at how hot I found her in that scene, and I was like, oh, no. I remember when we were watching this together, and we both found out at the exact same time that this was our lesbian of the week moment. Yes. The exact thing. Yes. We lost our shit. We started screaming. <laughs> we will put screenshots of Lynette's fucking vibes on our it's Twitter account. It's so delicious. Delicious. So go to our Twitter it's account so to look juicy. at it again. I'm so excited. That's basically oh what that scene God. is. We just needed to talk about it. One of my notes is just, mm, this outfit. Yeah, I literally <laughs> wrote, <laughs> the outfit Lynette is wearing is gay. She looks like a lesbian. It's pretty hot. <laughs> That's all she, I put. she goes off on this oh, cop yeah. and the cop gets so scared that he says that he'll just give her a warning yeah. and we cut to the kids and they're making faces at him and you know what? <laughs> also, Good for them. were the faces they were holding their noses up, were they doing a little pig thing? They're, I think they were doing little pig things. I love that these kids are like little fucking anarchists. They're like, Can I just fuck say? pigs. And they're just like, kings. Kings. Honestly, kings. Honestly, kings. <laughs> um, then we cut to the worst scene in the world. Yeah, I don't know who, so somebody's going into a house I don't know who they, I, they are. Were, the disguise was so... Um, I, I I couldn't even fathom who it was because the disguise was so good. It's somebody wearing a skin-tight black <laughs> dress. Is it Posh Spice? With, like, a scarf. I was thinking maybe it's Posh. I was like, Victoria Beckham? Yeah. Is that you? But I, I don't know. The, the disguise I'm is I'm unsure. Too... It's honestly a little out of place mm-hmm. because th- we never get an explanation for this. Sorry, a little bit of a spoiler. We never get a... Sp- <laughs> we never get an explanation for who this is in the scene <laughs> because she's also wearing sunglasses so we can't see her face can't might tell be the who hoops is. might be the hoops we don't know we can't tell who it is but then we see uh we see a door open and it's gabby weird transition <sighs> weird transition to, from the stranger to yes. gabby yeah and do you want to talk a little bit about this i just i fucking hate this it's I know. You know, I have thoughts, and we can get into it when we get to it, but I would love to hear you describe what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, so basically Gabby goes to John Tucker's house, and he's she's like, hey, things are getting too close over at my house. Like, I'm really worried about Carlos coming home and catching us, so we need to have, start having sex at your house, where, you know, his mom and dad live? I <laughs> Like, what? Yeah. And she also says, like, you need to start actually doing your job when you're at my house because Carlos is noticing you're not doing your job. So that's another thing she kind of lays on him. I think being at John's house is a very interesting tool. I think they could have definitely utilized it in a different way now or just later in the show Mm -hmm. to show how freaked out she is and realize how much of a child he actually is. Yeah. And maybe to give her some remorse for what she's doing. But instead, like, she's a little, like, creeped out by his bedroom, but her horny rage fuel just overpowers it, And she fucking puts a baby photo of him down. Yeah. But I feel like if this instance was used a little bit later in the show. It could have been used to show that like, oh, maybe what I'm doing isn't right because this is a child. He calls her Mrs. Solis and I hate yeah, that. Every time. Every time. It's like, why doesn't he call her Gabby? You have been inside of her. You can call her Gabby probably. Yeah. I hate that he calls her Mrs. Solis and I understand that it's like a heavy handed like way of being like he's younger than her, but it makes, it irks me out every time. Uh, So yeah, I hate those. I hate, but it's like, I hate them together, but I also think he's nicer than carlos it's very weird he's nicer but he's also but you know like (laughs) gabby get someone who's good for you get with edie yeah when the when are you two gonna make out that's the real tea that's the storyline i'm here for (laughs) and then we finally they they start to have sex also the whole time i'll talk about later the whole time they're having sex there i'm like obviously his mom's gonna walk in on her and him right like it's like how are his parents not there yeah it makes me nervous but whatever we finally get away from this thing this couple, and we go to marriage counseling with Rex and Brie, baby. Do you want to talk a bit about this? So yeah, we cut back to therapy, and we find out that Brie has been doing a lot of small talk instead of actually opening up about her feelings and issues with the relationship. Yeah. I'm actually shocked that Rex has been the one that's been, like, opening up. I'm not, because I feel like he's overpowering the conversation a little bit too much, and I feel like that's overwhelming Brie. Not that she would necessarily talk about her feelings in the first place, 
But I feel like if there was even a chance for her to, he's overpowering the conversation with his own thoughts and not giving Brie a chance to breathe or think. I mean, yeah, that's what happens when like she starts to start to speak and then he just is like, well, this is how she is. You can't tell how she feels. Like, and he starts just going off about Bree's lack of emotions. Yeah. She was about to start saying something and he wouldn't even let her. And then, of course, she starts like dissociating about this button on her uh, therapist's jacket. And yeah, I think that that's almost your control thing comes back as like her need to control things. She has to have some sort of control in her life because she doesn't have control over every aspect. She doesn't always have control over the emotions that she feels or she doesn't have control over how her family feels about her. Mm -hmm. So she needs to have that control somewhere, and that's where the housework kicks in. Yeah, I think that's she's the character that really hammers in that idea of control for me. But, like, yeah, especially with, like, just needing to fix this button to be able to make this thing perfect and fixed again is just very core for her, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, like, he just, like, Rex totally steamrolls over her when she would even, when she was trying to even attempt to open up. And I understand where he's coming from, but also I'm like, you have to let her talk if you want to get anywhere. And I think it's because he doesn't want to get anywhere. I think he just wants a yeah. divorce. But then we uh, immediately go back to John and Gabby and this uh, weird little thing, this weird little interaction with a rose. He gives her what he thinks is the perfect rose. And this is when Gabby realizes that this affair is starting to mean more to John than she originally anticipated, yeah. which again goes back to not having control over things. She thought she could just have sex with this 16 <laughs> year old and it not go anywhere yeah. for him. He's fallen in love, baby. Yeah. Also, I looked this, I looked it up and he's 26 in this. Interesting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so dumb. So that's kind of the gist of that scene is just like, he's like, hey, I was going to give you this, uh, but here it is. And it's because he just cares about her. And it's it's really kind. And, and we can talk about it later, what they say later. Is it said later? I think so. Yeah. The line about the rose is really wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, we can yeah. get to it later a little bit more. But basically, we, f- we leave again, finally, from this couple. And we go to uh, Susan walking up to see uh, Mike bringing some groceries back. He's ready to cook some ribeye steak that is apparently Susan's favorite food. Interesting. You know, because she's not like other girls. Yeah, she loves mac and cheese and steak, baby. Hey, you know, I bet she watches sports. Mm-hmm. You know, she likes to play. She's competitive. Yeah. She, you know, she's a real She's mm-hmm. a real dudes, dudes woman, yep. you know? I do feel like yeah. that's the archetype they try to put Susan in. <laughs> I think so, too. And then we get Edie, who drives up and parks in the middle of the wrong side <laughs> the of the street. The middle of this fucking street. Gets out of her car, leaves the door open. Probably the key's in there, too. Listen, she's in control of her life. She, she knows what fuck. she's doing. That was the weirdest physical, like, sight gag I've ever seen in my life, is her just leaving her car so great. in the middle of the road. You know, she walks up, and she's like, oh, what's this? And she starts very sexily eating, like, a grape or something. As yeah. she's mentioning how she uh, wishes she could have a home-cooked meal by Mike Delfino. Yeah. And Mike sort of gives Susan these puppy dog eyes, because he really wants to invite Edie over for a warm meal, because he feels bad, because her house burned down her house burned down and there's another really good quote that says uh susan was watching this interaction happen as if she were watching an accident in slow motion which goes back to control control baby we know this (laughs) everything i do is for a reason i'm a genius that's all i had to say that's it yeah no it's a great scene and basically like you know susan lets up and then she doesn't want to say no to Mike, and so they invite Edie to dinner with them. Which means Julie's coming back Yeah, to because, dinner. like, that'd be so weird if Julie was not there. Like, Yeah, just the three of them. Because also Mike company. uses that as, like, a justification where Edie's like, oh, if you two are intruding, and she, he's like, oh, no, Julie's going to be there. And yeah, so- he says, like, it's a tradition, and Edie goes, mm, interesting, Susan. Ooh. Um... <laughs> You didn't give me that when I moved here, yep. which is another prompt to invite her. I love it. She's such a fucking bitch, and I love it so much. I love it. I love Edie. And you know who else I love? The Hoobs. The Hoobs. Yeah. <laughs> Detective- and guess who we see next? Yeah, we see Detective Hoobs getting some uh, hand-me-downs from Lynette. She's doing a bit of a clothing drive for Edie to get her some clothes since all of her clothes burned up, which is sweet. After delivering a sick burn on Lynette's hand-me-downs, fucking Detective Hoobs fucking puts down that fedora. She somehow saw Lynette get pulled over. I'm convinced she has cameras everywhere. (laughs) How did she know? How did she know that? I'm just convinced. Because it's like, we don't know how long she's lived here. No. She's running this. She's running this town. She she has cameras in every house, every room, every street, every corner. She was probably watching through that cop's camera. (laughs) 
fucking <laughs> his body cam she hacked in yeah um the hoop sees everything and uh she you know lynette kind of explains what happened and then she tells lynette about this time her mother pretended to abandon her on the side of the road and it scared her so much she never acted up again and lynette's like i would never do that unless haha <laughs> Oh, and sorry, I have these string of notes that I was trying to decipher, even though I wrote these notes truly yesterday. And it says, the hoobs is ruthless. Mm-hmm. Mom in a home, brain to mush. I want a series like Young Sheldon, but it's Young Hoobs. And I just figured out what all of those mean. <laughs> we just Holy get a sense shit. of like her familial relationship. She put her mom in a home and she's like, yeah, my mom's brain is like mush right now. So whatever. Peace. <laughs> Peace. My mom's brain is mush. She says that. I forgot about that until you mentioned it. And we just watched this episode and I don't remember that. Yeah. I want a series that's Young Sheldon, but it's <laughs> but Young, young Hooves. That's our second spinoff. Every yes. spinoff stars the Hooves. She also, as she's walking past Susan... She asks, she's, you know, she's leaving Lynette's place. She's asks Susan to donate and Susan makes some slut shamey joke. And she, de- the hoops delivers the most buck wild line. Edie may be trash, but she's still a human being. That I like Jesus. lost my mind when she said that the first time. Yeah. That's basically, I just wanted to say that line because I thought that that needed to be known. And then like, oh yeah. And then like, I Su- you know the who's walks away and then Susan pulls out the it's note. It's a beautiful transition. Yeah, it's a good transition. By the way, yeah. I would, I know we talk about trans- transitions a lot in this show. It's kind of like we're following the hoobs. We're following the hoobs. She meets Susan. Then we cut to Susan. Yeah, I do like that. It, I think that the show, especially as it continues on, does like, it, it uses the street very interestingly because yes you know the houses are there's maps online if you ever want to see like what houses everyone lives in to know who's neighbors with who but you know they all are in very distinct spots they're all within the same like you know three houses of each other basically and i do think it's interesting and fun the way they use the just close proximity for these like outdoor scenes that i love how like it makes sense if i'm looking at the map that walking past the scavo house you'll intercept at the you know meyer house which is directly across the street from the young house and how they all sort of like i think that it's just really cool being able to use the close proximity of all these characters residences to storytell in that way and yeah it was a really cool thing I do find it very hilarious that Susan, I guess, has this note this on her at all times, I guess. She just pulls that out of her pocket just in case and because she's considering uh, telling Paul. No, no approval from the other women. She's just like going to go rogue and give this note to Paul. So Susan walks up to Paul, who's in the garage. He's sealing up the toy chest that we saw earlier this episode. And Susan does not find this somewhat suspicious not at all he's kind of like blowing her off a little bit he's moving the chest to the back of his van and he drops it at one point and she tries to help him and he's like no don't touch that yeah like why is she not suspicious by this like at all i have no idea she even apologizes to him (laughs) and then we get that bit from paul saying she abandoned her husband Mm -hmm. and her son and i'll never forget her referring to mary alice's suicide yeah it was sad it was really cutting but like I also think it's fully valid to feel that way, especially when you don't feel like you have a reason. Like when you assumed your life was happy with this person and then they leave you like in such a way that you just feel so lost. Like it it was sad, but it's I think that that's a pretty valid reason. And I also think it lets us into the kind of person he is in a really interesting way. He, he's a very interesting actor because I think he does a really good job at like the genre, the kind of creepy, suspicious guy. Um, who's also in mourning. Like, I don't know. I just, I just found myself really thinking that delivery was really, really good from him. And then, oh, I really love this voiceover from Mary Alice talking about, she's like, oh, I feel so, I feel so bad because Susan wants to know so bad. And she says, it's not enough to want to know the truth. It's Mm. about where to look for it. I think it's really interesting about like, it's not, the wanting is not enough. You have to look in the right places. And she's looking in the right places. Yeah, then it goes back to the beginning quote, where the dead see more than the living, Mm -hmm. but the living could see it if they just looked. I botched that, but you all know. My next note is Julie is so cute, ooh woo. And I don't remember why I wrote that. That's interesting because we do see Paul dump the chest into like a lake of sorts. Oh, you just totally I just ignored, ignored that. that, I guess. <laughs> because I you were so focused on Julie. I was too distracted by 
truly. Because the next thing after that well, is very interesting also, because we see Paul dumping that mm-hmm. chest into the lake, but I don't know if it's a time skip backwards or forwards, because the Hoobs is knocking on Susan's door, yeah. and Julie answers, oh, and Julie goes upstairs. I don't think this is regular Hoobs. This is Detective Hoobs. I'm so sorry. This I is a regular Hoobs. Up. This is Detective Hoobs. <laughs> so detective hubes i don't know why i'm saying hubes so detective hubes goes and snoops through susan's groceries that are just on the table takes a little bit of the perfume spritzes it on Mm -hmm. her because she deserves a little nice treat and then she finds a new measuring cup Interesting. Hmm, Detective Hoobs hmm. is putting these fucking clues together, thinking, huh? And she's Hoobsies. thinking, and Julie comes back downstairs, and Julie is like, oh, we got a new one because we lost our old one. And then we see the, the fire in Detective Hoobs' eyes. And Detective Hoobs. <laughs> the glint that she's putting some pieces together. I, I think that's very, very fascinating. Oh, yeah. It feels very on brand for like the nosy neighbor. I love, I just don't know. I, I wrote in my notes, God, I don't know why I love her. <laughs> lol <laughs> so that's kind of basically what that scene is you know the the hoobs is like yeah julie she was coming yeah. to get clothes for Edie, and then julie's like oh i couldn't find them and then the hoobs is like you gave me everything i needed to know tips her fedora yeah. throws a smoke detective bomb, hoobs swooshes yeah. her trench coat and is gone <laughs> i love her so much i wish i could draw so i could draw detective hoobs <laughs> let's commission detective hoobs art we cut to the lobby of Dr. Goldfein's practice, and for some reason, Rex isn't able to call his own wife on the phone. So Dr. Goldfein's like, Rex uh, Rex called me, and uh, he's not going to be here. Bree doesn't have a cell phone. I'm convinced. That's I think she only true. knows how to use a rotary phone. <laughs> a rotary fucking landline. <laughs> she doesn't know what technology yeah, is. She's freaked out by light switches. It's fine. <laughs> She's actually a time traveler from 1804. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for some reason she has no way of communicating with her husband, and so... Also, yeah, I think this is the first time it's mentioned that Rex, like, works at a hospital, I think? Yeah, I think so. Sorry, I was just going back to... She has no real way of communicating with her husband. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> anyway, you're right, go you're on. Right. Yeah, that's basically it. And Dr. Goldfine, uh, I think she, does, is this where she asks him to, yeah, yeah she walks so, up and she's like, take your coat off. Yeah, so she is originally going to leave. But then she notices the button again, and she basically inserts herself in the therapy to fix the button. Yep. Yeah. We go to a weird little small scene that I find kind of, I don't know, I don't really need this scene. I feel like it's just exposition. So we cut to Gabby and Susan going into Gabby's house with a bunch of shopping bags, and they're talking about Susan's not date with Mike, and... She says the dumbest line in the world about how Edie will arrive at 5.45, so her breasts will be there at 5.30. Like, Nicolette Sheridan's boobs aren't that big. big. (laughs) Like, 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 it's like they wrote this for fucking... You know those, uh... Excuse my language. Do you know the cock destroyers on Twitter? Yes. It's like that's what they were imagining when they wrote this line. And Nicolette Sheridan has like a boyish figure and small breasts. I don't know why they like decided that that line needed to exist. I'm just going to say, if you don't know who the cock destroyers are. You got to look it up. But look it up with your, you know, just... You know, be aware. In SFW. But what if one of the cock destroyers played Edie Britt? It would be Sophie. Think about that. Sophie being like, oh, fuck you, Mike Delfino. I was going to say, I was going to say, oh, fuck. It's a Sunday. (laughs) I wish I had a a fucking hot piping home cooked meal from Mike Delfino. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dead. Oh, my God. Yes. Do you think, I think they do cameos. Do you think we can, like, oh. pay for them to do lines oh from Desperate God. Housewives? Yes. <laughs> we have to say, like, hey, can you say this line from Desperate Housewives, but can you make it sexy? Like, we have to give them room to improv. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's our next project. Oh, um, fuck. It's a Sunday. <laughs> mine was plastic fuck (laughs) oh god 
Okay, we've got to move I'm on like, from the bit. I'm like, I, there's like tears in my eyes right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, I wrote, Susan looks cute in this scene with her little hips out. Mm-hmm. Is what I wrote down for some reason. Um, but basically, the end of the scene is uh, Susan's going to leave. She notices this beautiful red rose. And Gabby so- somehow gets away with being like, John gave that to me. And when Susan's like, what? She goes, it's a color palette for my new rose bushes and it's like it's a single rose how is that a palette because you know some of the petals are wilted and he did put little (laughs) paints on the inside i can't lol (laughs) so somehow gets away with that little lie because susan doesn't seem to really notice it i guess yeah so we go back to the therapy appointment and brie is sewing this button and i do think it's a very smart move he did where he's like letting her sew this button so it kind of gets her to open up a little bit more Mm -hmm. and um she sort of is dragging the idea of therapy, honestly, by saying that she uh, learned a bit about psychology in college and learned about Freud and, and was just she just drags Freud for <laughs> filth. And I think it's very sweet because it's like, I don't know, I think I, I wrote, I think this is interesting. And though she's viewing these like thoughts she's having about Freud from a very like internalized view, I think his confirmation and fascination by her ideas mm-hmm shows how smart she is. And I don't think that her husband or her children think of her as an intelligent person. No, I think they specifically only think of her as a mother and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I kind of love Dr. Goldfein being like, yeah, a lot of people feel that way about Freud. And like the fact that she is articulate and she is very smart. And I think he's really appreciative of the way she handles his button. And I think it's a very sweet shift of Dr. Goldfein maybe understanding her in a new way and Mm -hmm. maybe understanding how to help her. Yeah, because the whole thing about therapy is it is a relationship between you and the therapist. And that goes the same with like couples counseling, too. So it's he's getting a better understanding of who she is as a person so he can figure out how to like help her and navigate therapy with Rex Moore. Yeah. No, I think it was a great scene. I think he's a really good doctor so far. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) And then we cut to this fucking Lynette's children being insane again. Once again, I would rip my hair out. She's got glasses on. It's one good look. Glasses mode. Yeah, she looks hot this whole episode. So Lynette decides to try what the hoobs is cooking. Yes. And makes her children get out of the car. She drives off for like maybe 10 seconds. I feel like she just like goes around the block. She does. She goes around the corner, backs up immediately, comes back and they're fucking gone. Yes. <laughs> she is understandably scared. So she's yes, running obviously. around I'd calling be fucking out for her boys. Too. There's a random woman sitting like on a porch or something and we find out that the boys are in the woman's house because mm-hmm. the woman she saw Lynette drive off yes and she starts talking about how she's an unfit mother yeah she's dragging Lynette she's like how dare you abandon your children and Lynette is just like screaming like I didn't abandon them I came right yeah. back please give me my children um this woman doesn't really care to know Lynette's no. point of view at all and then the boys come out and they kill and- her <laughs> <laughs> They pull out a Glock yes. and they fucking kill this woman. <laughs> no, they, yeah, they, they, the woman puts hands on Lynette yes. and sort of aggressively starts pulling her back, which like you said, it's like, we're obviously on Lynette's side, but you could, I, I understand why this woman is like, you aren't fit to touch these children. Yeah. I think you're a dangerous mother. You can sort of see both sides in the situation. Yeah. And uh, the boys go into protect mode for mama bear mm-hmm. and they bite this woman's leg and push her on the ground. And I kind of do love like Lynette getting into the hijinks with her kids when there's like that beat and then run boys and then she runs i feel like this is a really interesting situation because i've been talking about a loss of control over lives i think this is a really interesting moment of lynette finding some sort of control within the chaos even Mm -hmm. though it's not direct yeah it's still somewhat there no i'm into it yeah and then the woman calls after the car and says get back here or i'm gonna call social (laughs) services you don't know who she is like how are you gonna call social services like what spoiler alert Social services don't come. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert. She doesn't do that. Yeah. We never see this woman again. Then we cut to Gabrielle looking at her rose from John Tucker when Carlos returns with a shiny new car. I also, I I don't remember what prompted this line, but I think it was a Mary Alice voiceover when Carlos was asking if she enjoys the car, said she responded the only way she knew how. Kind of reminded me of those lines from the pilot where it was like Lynette being like, she responded the only way she knew how, she lied. And there was another example of that. Like, it, it, I thought that was a nice kind of callback to the pilot. It was. I, I think it was in reference to, is this, like, thrilling enough for you? Yeah, And it like that. wasn't the thrilling that she was expecting. 
But she responded the only way she knew how. I would be very interested if we get that quote once an episode with each wife until it's the rotation's completed. Yeah, yeah, probably, honestly. And then, of course, uh, John Tucker is across the street at, like, a corner, not even, like, at a house, raking no leaves for some reason. Yeah. And he's looking on. He's feeling kind of desolate because Gabrielle looks so happy with her husband. And I actually quite like the line, it's the rare man that understands the value of a single perfect rose. (laughs) I do think that's sweet because I don't love that the show is trying to make us root for Gabby and John. But... If, like let's say in some fantasy world John is legal <laughs> then like I do like the idea of the difference between you think Gabrielle is this woman who has it all and she's getting all these rich things but the gift that means the most is just this yeah. single cheap red rose that was handpicked and I, I think it's you know it's 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 interesting I don't really know what I'm trying to say about it but it is interesting so Carlos is presenting with a bunch of expensive material goods with really no meaning behind them but a single perfect rose could mean everything. It's romantic, you know? It's yeah. not it, It's not meaningless. There's something behind it. Yeah. And I wrote my notes, like, I'm just so distracted by... And like I said, we still haven't had any confirmation of his age mm-hmm. in the canon. So we are sort of spoiling you a bit by telling you he's 16. Like, because it's not... I don't think it's brought up for a couple more episodes. We just don't want but you like, to root <laughs> for it. Yeah, yeah. But like... I just don't understand why they made this choice. Like, even if he was 18, it would still be inappropriate, but he would at least feel, like, better for me if he was of a legal age to, like, be engaging in sex with an older woman. Mm -hmm. Like, it wouldn't be great, but if he was just two years older, it would feel, like, a little bit better for me. I don't know. I'll try not to be repetitive and mention it again after this, but I'm over it. So the next scene is Susan trying to get the one up on Edie by going to Mike's house early. She goes, hey, I thought I'd just, like, help you set up. And then we find out Edie's already been there. She's already, she's been new. She's already there. She's been there. She comes outside. Bongo loves her. I love her. I assume you love her, Mackenzie. <laughs> uh, you know I love I her. I know. I was just, I was just making sure. Yes. But then Mike looks genuinely like kind of into it that Bongo yeah. loves Edie. She's actually helping out. I know you are too, but I'm kind of rooting for them. I'm kind of rooting for them as well. Like, I don't know. Like if I'm viewing it objectively, not objectively, this is my opinion, but if I'm viewing it like with just the episodes we've seen, right? The pilot and this episode, mm-hmm. I think that like Edie is demonstrating the same amount of like normal fakeness you give to someone when you're trying to date them. And to an extent, Susan is too, but Edie is just doing it in a much more sincere and successful way. Yes. Because like the dog likes her and she like wants to come cook and later we'll see she like stays to help clean up Mike's house. And like, I don't know, I found myself rooting for Edie and maybe it's because I do find her so misunderstood. And I, yeah. I want her, someone to care about her. Yeah, because it's kind like, of, I feel like she's not a bad person necessarily. We care about her. Having sex doesn't make you a bad person. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It just, it just makes, makes you makes a other person. Women self-conscious about her yeah. and it's annoying. It just doesn't age well. They feel fine, threatened you know? by her, which yes. they shouldn't. Yeah, literally. Like, she's not trying to, like, sleep with Carlos or Rex. Like, she's just doing her own fucking thing. She's not trying to, like, ruin anyone's marriages. It's almost as if they need to all have a common enemy to bring them together. And I feel like they're just placing that on Edie, even though she's really not done anything. She's never done, slept with yeah. any of their husbands. Mike is a single man. She's just into him. Yeah. Even if she just wants to have sex with him, like... Do it. Let her have sex. And then, (laughs) Susan, maybe you can swoop in after. LOL. Just let Edie be horny. (laughs) Let Edie be horny 2K20. And uh, that's kind of all that we get from this scene right now. And, we, and yeah, we were, we've already sort of unpacked a bit of our Edie feelings yes. and we'll see more later. But we quickly cut over to more couples therapy. Rex is here this time. Like I say, I, tr- I'm, I, I do understand where Rex is coming from. I try to be understanding, but I hated him being like, you know, it doesn't take two to ruin a marriage. She's the only reason why our marriage is terrible. And it's like, dude, it does take it two does to ruin a marriage. It does take two. Like, fuck off. I thought that was pretty shitty. No, you're right. And you should say it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I liked Dr. Goldfine kind of standing up for Brie a little bit and saying, like, why don't you ever try acknowledging the things that she does do for you as a, as well as the things that she does to upset you? You have to acknowledge that she does things to mm-hmm. make your life easier. And um, so I do enjoy that he kind of stood up for her. And I think that she felt very seen. And I don't know if she feels seen very often. Yeah. And I think that her reaction on her face gave that to me. Yes. And it, it was really sweet, I think. An actor. And then... 
We go back to Ooh, yes. dinner. The boxing ring. Yes, the boxing <laughs> ring right here. We got Mike. We got Edie. We got Susan. We got Julie all sitting down, all eating dinner. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a little bit of a back and forth. Edie brings yeah. up the divorce attorney that <laughs> Susan had. And she says... This is the dumbest shit. She says, oh, I still believe Ooh. you and your husband are going to get back together. Gives Julie a weird little wink. Being yeah. like, I got you. I know you want your parents to be back together. Yeah. And then Julie fucking puts on the <laughs> fucking gloves. Fucking queen. Julie says, oh, bitch, uh, mom, tap me in. <laughs> And fucking comes into this match and is like, oh, how many times have you been married and how many men have you been with? Which, once again, is it like great to be like, oh, a woman's been with more men, so she's tainted somehow. But yes. it was a pretty sick burn the way she fucking did that. Because kids burning people is always better. It's so funny. <laughs> like, I like can't explain yeah, it. I, I thought she was a queen. I, I do love that. I think that the relationship between Julie and Susan is so great. Mm-hmm. We talked about it a lot. We joke about it. Like I joke that like I wish she would maybe talk to other people other than her 13-year-old. But I think that their relationship is really lovely. And I love Julie standing up for her mother and like being like, no, 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 no. My mother has somebody else here too. And I think Mary Alice's voiceover sort of leans into that. It's just a very supportive relationship in that they mm -hmm. want each other to be happy in their lives. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Uh, We love that media can give us these relationships. (laughs) Then Susan does some fucking dumb shit. I'm just saying. Susan. Tell me goes and puts gravy on her body to try to get Bongo to like her. Yeah, would no one else notice the gravy on her or smell it? Like, I feel like that's really weird to hey, me. Hey, Susan, why do you smell kind of savory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the dog is into it, and Edie is a little confused, and then this poor poor dog it like broke my heart because he's you know coughing up because he swallowed her fucking earring uh, like that could have torn his like throat died. earring yeah like it was sad i put poor bongo sad face in my so did i put bongo in my buddy yeah and it made me feel bad because like that dog didn't fucking do shit he didn't want to be used as a pawn for his owner's yeah. love and uh yeah that made me sad and um yeah, I know you said you want to talk about this. I was just going to say. rushing from the home, yeah. Him saying no when Susan asks to go with to the vet. I understand he's supposed to be very stressed. He's supposed to be upset. But it was, like, so quiet. No. No. <laughs> it's just weird. It I just mean, seemed kind of out of place. Yeah, and I mean, it's like this dog, and obviously in a moment we can talk about it, we'll find out why this dog is so important to him. Mm-hmm. But, like, I can't imagine that fear you're feeling. I mean, yeah. I can, actually. I've, I felt that before. My When I was younger, my dog had a heat stroke, and I like I would have ripped the world apart to get her to the vet. Like, yeah. I was like, it, it's it's scary when it's, like, something you love so dearly. And and, and, you, and right now it's like, shit, she, you know, she looks like the person who was responsible for it. So it's like... Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I I love once again the moment I think that made me kind of root for Edie was in all of her fakeness and her like trying to to woo him. Her saying like, "Oh, I'll I'll stay to clean. You you go to the vet. I'll stay here." Yeah, wasn't even offering to go to the vet. Was offering to make his life a little bit easier when he got back. Yes. I thought it was really kind, and she kind of made a face at Susan afterward that I thought was kind of valid. And I don't know. I just. The thing that made me root for Edie a bit was seeing how her first instinct was to help clean the house and make sure everything is okay so that he can focus on his dog and not worry about anything back home. I just thought that was a really nice move. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was kind of genuinely kind Almost like Edie is a real person. (laughs) Almost like Edie's a nice person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that was lovely. And we cut to the vet. And Susan rushes in, finds Mm -hmm. Mike at the vet, and finds out that the reason he's so upset about the dog is because it's his late wife's dog. Yes. Uh, And he really doesn't know what he would do with himself if anything happened to him. It's sad. Yeah. And I find it so funny because I was listening to our first episode and I forgot what Julie found out about Mike (laughs) it's that his wife died and you know it's it's yeah it's like when you're grieving someone and you have this piece of them especially when it's a pet like you know what I mean like it's this living creature that is this like piece of them and eventually you know they're not going to be there anymore but you still want to hold on to that as long as you can and and it's really sweet and sad and I thought that it was really well acted the like realization Susan has Mm -hmm. that is articulated by Mary Alice of you know that Susan realizes he is in love with his wife and I don't know I just thought it was really lovely and soft and quiet and I I really enjoyed it. It's a very interesting transition because then Mm -hmm. we cut back to Edie cleaning up Mike's house. She opens a cabinet to put some stuff away and then it pans a little to the left like two sections. Yeah and 
In the next cabinet over, there's a gun, <laughs> stacks of money, maps yeah. of the lane with like a headshot of Julie and like weird screen caps from episodes of other housewives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how they make me soften to Mike and his experience and then immediately go, oh, don't forget, he has a gun and he's a shady yeah, bitch. it's almost like, like it's we don't, good storytelling. It's almost like it's that juicy, juicy mystery yeah. we're uncovering. Ooh, slurping it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really great. Also, the Edie doesn't <laughs> notice that. Yeah, like all she had to me. do was open the next open cabinet another- over. <laughs> yeah, literally. But you know what? Mary Alice's monologue almost maybe even articulates why yeah. is that, you know, so many people are so into their own lives, they don't stop to take a look at other people's. Yeah. And as we see this, we see that toy box that Paul threw into the lake resurfacing. And that is our cliffhanger for episode two. One. one two. two. What episode is this? Two. I don't fucking know. Episode two. Episode two. All I'm saying is. Is I don't know if Paul put bricks in that toy chest. I don't know what's yeah. I don't know what's in there, but I feel like he should have put bricks in there. <laughs> yeah, like he should have done anything to make sure it was going to sink. Yeah, it was a pretty dumb decision to just be like, I'm gonna throw this probably light burn wood it maybe. I thing. don't know. Yeah, burning it honestly probably would have been better. Yeah, literally. Sorry, I'm just thinking about this whole first season that our audience is going to experience, and no spoilers. He just burned it. Like, why, mm-hmm. like that's the easiest way to get rid of a thing you want to hide it's is make it, it not exist anymore. Yeah, just have a bonfire invite everybody over invite everybody over burn an an old toy chest yeah Uh, you saying that made me realize i mean i guess we wouldn't really have a first season if it had gone away though also thinking about like the pool and him having to contact people to fix it (laughs) yeah how do you explain that yeah Yeah, i just i I went kind of uh went kind of rogue ripped ripped out the bottom of my it was just like a project i wanted it deeper also if it was under the pool who would have ever found it like who would have ever been down there i mean like if people were doing remodeling and they wanted to get rid of the pool or something that would have been so well after he'd gone i though. know i don't think I it could have been traced to I him know. whatever this yeah, is whatever it is i have well no we're idea. finding too many plot holes so we need to just yeah, invest it's, in it's a sign that tale. we need to stop <laughs> <laughs> and uh thank you all for listening to episode two thank you so much i'm so excited to keep just ripping apart I this really am. story you know like i love season one i love season it's so one good. it's the only season i've seen i love you i love you wow i feel i just feel like a lesbian in this chili tonight yes you know? it's lesbian in this chilies tonight lesbian in this chilies tonight uh. So if you want to check out more of the show, you can find us at Desperate Dykes on Twitter and maybe Instagram. Are we starting an Instagram? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Check it out when this episode goes out. And we if, might and have if one. there is none, then you know we don't. <laughs> we know we didn't. Um, but definitely on Twitter. You can send us a tweet. Follow us. Come say hi. And I think that's all we got. I think that's all we got. Once again, my name is Liz Burton. You can find me at The Pigeon Wizard on Twitter. I'm Mackenzie Wilkes. You can find me at Mackenzie Wilkes. And you know what? Stay juicy, everyone. Stay juicy.